To all our listeners, this is Crossroads, a series of podcasts by Infralogic, the world's premier infrastructure intelligence and data platform. My name is Robin Ganguly, and I'm responsible for all Infologic content in the Asia-Pacific region. Now, today, let's start with some numbers. A whopping $923 billion worth of infrastructure, power and energy and renewable zeals closed in 2021, according to the Infologic League tables published last month. Now, that's compared with $743 billion in 2019 before the pandemic. In Asia, the figure was $80 billion across sectors. The share of renewables surged from 20% in 2019 to a jaw-dropping 42% in 2021. Now, today, we have an expert in the field to decipher what is happening. Charlie Reed is Managing Director of APAC Renewable Power at BlackRock. He is responsible for leading investment and portfolio management activities across the region, as well as sourcing, executing, and managing renewable infrastructure assets. Now, Charlie established the Renewable Income Platform, which now manages more than $2.2 billion of capital. Charlie, a very, very warm welcome to Crossroads. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks, Charlie. Now, as I say in good financial reporting, the numbers tell the story, and we saw that in my rather long introduction. Putting you a little bit on the spot right at the start, could you point us to the most attractive renewable segments in Asia and where they are located? Sure. So you, you provide some compelling statistics, and I'll give you one in return, which is the road to net zero between now and 2050 will create over $100 trillion of investment opportunities globally. And over 50% of that capital will go into the APAC market. So from a global perspective, we see Asia Pacific as critical both to the challenge of climate change, but also the investment opportunity that it creates. When we look within APAC as a region, we invest across markets, and we currently have a focus on the Australian, Korean, Japanese, and Taiwanese markets where we see a range of compelling investment opportunities. And in terms of technologies, we have a particular focus at the moment on offshore wind development, on the, the deployment of solar assets, batteries, but also EV charging. So there's a range of sectors that we think are particularly interesting and exciting at the moment. Thank you. You have been on, on several uh, information, Infologic, Sparkspread conferences in the last couple of years, and you've always been um, a proponent of, of renewables. And obviously, you know, given the numbers that you mentioned and which I mentioned as well, it's all very popular. Now, which of the above would you say are the top three? And, and quite importantly, what should be avoided at this point? Sure. So you mentioned my attendance at recent uh, events, and I've talked often about the, the Korean market. South Korea has not been in the headlines in recent history in relation to renewables. But for me, it is one of the most critical renewables markets globally. And that is because of government policy. The government has a very clear mandate now to deliver a net zero future. And by 2030, the Korean renewables market will grow from around 20 gigawatts today to 100 gigawatts. That is creating a vast investment opportunity, particularly across offshore wind and solar. And that investment opportunity is backed by 20-year power purchase agreements from KEPCO subsidiaries. So we see it both as an attractive growth market, but also a market which is delivering attractive risk-adjusted returns for renewables investors. The second market I'd probably highlight is a market we've been invested in for some time, which is the Taiwanese solar market. 
uh, Taiwan, Taiwanese renewables, uh, is, is often mentioned in relation to offshore wind, uh, but solar is actually the majority of the capacity that will be delivered over time. So in terms of the government's uh, 2025 renewables target of over 30 gigawatts, over 20 gigawatts will come from solar. Uh, last year, to the government's solar target was met, but we think that this year and next year we'll see significant growth in the solar market in Taiwan. And then finally, I would mention battery storage in Australia. So you may have seen the headlines in relation to certain coal-fired power stations uh, being turned off ahead of schedule. And we see that as adding to a picture in the Australian power market where there is going to be significant volatility, but significant need for battery storage in order to help with the energy transition. So we are actively researching investment opportunities in battery storage in Australia. And then finally, what to avoid, the areas related to the point I just raised that does add incremental risk for investing in renewables is exposure to merchant electricity pricing, i.e. investing in renewable power projects uh, where the price at which you sell your power is not fixed through a power purchase agreement. Uh, given the volatility around the energy transition, that can create opportunities, but it does create risk, particularly when that risk is combined with debt in the capital structure. I would recommend that as investors look at the, the markets across APAC, where you do have the ability to access long-term fixed price contracts, those opportunities should be grabbed. I agree entirely. I think PPAs have been quite important and most investors have insisted on long-term PPAs. Dialing back a little bit, Charlie, just a follow-up question. The bit about Taiwan, I think two years ago, if I'm not wrong, you had you were one of the first people that I had heard painting Taiwan as more of a solar market rather than an offshore wind market, and it seems to be, to be coming true. But just looking at the offshore wind market now in Taiwan, do you think it's become more of a secondary market now rather than a primary, or would you disagree? I would agree. What we found in offshore wind globally is that cost of capital for high-quality offshore wind assets decreases dramatically once assets reach the start of construction, and we've seen that to be the case in Taiwan. There, as you're aware, a lot of the the tariffs have already been awarded. Quite a few projects are in construction, although some of those projects have experienced delays. Um, we do see the opportunity there now being largely secondary market, whereas we are focused more on developing offshore wind platforms like we're doing through our credo platform in, in South Korea. Thanks for that. That's, that's quite informative. Now, switching gears a bit, now, could you tell us a bit about BlackRock's interest in new partnerships or even asset sales? Sure. So you, you may have seen in the press that we've recently disposed of a port, large portfolio of operational solar projects in Australia. And that gives a good indication of part of our strategy, which is to take assets from development through construction through the early years of operation and then to, to divest them. So we are constantly looking for opportunities to bring new partners into our stable and particularly for the platforms and developers that we have built up across the Asia-Pacific region, we are always looking for uh, good quality partners on both the equity and the debt side to co-invest with us. As we look out over the next two years, I see that partnerships and strategic partnerships across APAC will make a lot of sense for us as a platform, and we will be looking across the region to develop our network of partners. Now, Charlie, just, just going back to the previous topic that we were talking about, you said 
storage in Australia. How big in your opinion is the market and how big is it going to be in, say, few years time. And so the, the batteries, the standalone batch storage market in Australia is developing very, very rapidly at the moment from only a few headline grabbing projects such as Elon Musk's big battery a few years ago, now to hundreds of megawatts being announced on, on a monthly basis. So I would anticipate that before too long, we will have market forecasts of around five to 10 gigawatts of battery storage capacity across the, the NEM. And what I would say about the energy transition is that it always happens more rapidly than people expect. So I think we will see very significant battery storage capacity rolled out across the electricity market in Australia before we know it. It's interesting that you dropped in, uh, dropped Elon Musk in there. I mean, I'm, I'm really glad I don't invest in Bitcoin because it seems to move quite rapidly with what he says, one way or the other. Uh, right, I'll bring in Celine Gur. So she is Infologic Senior Reporter for Greater China. I know Celine has several questions for you. We'll start with one. Celine, please go ahead. Hi, Charlie. I was wondering whether you could elaborate on new asset classes or regions that BlackRock is interested in. Absolutely. So one key thematic for us in terms of asset class is electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Uh, we see this as over a trillion dollar investment opportunity globally, and we have moved early into this sector. And you will have seen this through our investment in Ionity in Europe, but also in Jolt in Australia, where we have a pipeline of over 5,000 chargers across Australia, but also increasingly international. So I would say that for us across the APAC region, we'll be looking to, to roll out our investments and our strategy in charging infrastructure at, at rapid pace and at large scale. And then secondly, in terms of regions, I've referenced so far key markets for us, such as Australia, Korea, Taiwan, and Japan. You may have noted that we recently announced the formation of a new strategy called the Climate Finance Partnership, where we are working together with key government entities, but also key institutional investors to invest in the energy transition in developing markets. And as part of that, we will have a focus on investing in the ASEAN markets uh, within Asia Pacific. And we hope that we'll be announcing our first deals in that region over the coming months. In terms of EV charging, apart, of, uh, apart from Australia, do you have any other uh, APAC markets that you would set sight on? Yes. So through Jolt, um, we have agreed our first electric vehicle charging uh, installations uh, to be installed in New Zealand um, and in our first foray internationally. But we're also taking a close look through our development partners at the Korean, Taiwanese and Japanese markets, where it makes sense to leverage our on-the-ground capabilities in renewables to expand our investment universe into electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Thanks, Charlie. Now, just moving on to green financing. Uh, your views on APAC's green energy financing, refinancing conditions, and BlackRock's plans? Yes, the financing markets in, in APAC remain very robust, with significant, particularly refinancing opportunities available, despite the increase in, in rates that we've been seeing across markets. We announced some time ago that we are planning to, to refinance our Taiwanese solar portfolio, and that is a process that is underway. So we're getting good first-hand feedback on the debt markets that remain 
very robust, particularly for, for green loans. So we're excited about the financing opportunities across the markets where we're investing in terms of upside they can bring for us as equity investors. You know, I also find it interesting that not once during this interview have you mentioned COVID. So is, you know, the main impact of COVID, apart from a few pockets in, in Asia, is it a thing of the past now as in its effect on financial markets? I wouldn't say it's a, a thing of the past. What I would say is that we've been able to adjust very quickly to the new COVID world. So we've invested over a billion dollars into climate infrastructure within the Asia-Pacific region. The vast majority of that capital was invested during COVID. Owing to, to BlackRock's broader uh, network, we've been able to continue to invest and take advantage of the opportunities presented by the energy transition. But that is not to say that COVID is without risk to us, and particularly in relation to the opportunity to, to travel to, to the markets that I mentioned, it's, it's still a challenging situation. So we hope that that improves, but we are seeing that sustainable assets, climate infrastructure, and the energy transition have emerged as winners in the post-COVID world. Just before I move on to my final question of the day, we haven't addressed the, the two massive elephants in the room. We've talked about South Korea, Japan, Australia, but India and China. Absolutely. So the Indian and Chinese renewable markets are clearly key with China representing around a third of global renewables. And these are two increasingly important markets for global renewables going forward. They are markets that we play that we pay close attention to, and we will be paying particular attention to them going forward as we look for market entry opportunities within those markets. Historically, we've been very disciplined about how and when we've entered markets, be they uh, European, US or APAC markets, and we will take the same approach when it comes to both India and China. Any hiring plans, Shirley? So we've now built a very strong team across the region. We have eight people between Sydney, Singapore and Tokyo. And we are looking to add to that team, particularly by bringing people on at a junior level to grow them throughout our team. So I'd say we're very happy with the base that we have, but always looking to, to grow the team and to increase the, the scale of our presence. Excellent. Now, moving on to policy, are you spotting any trends across your target markets? And if you could also tell us about the advantages and disadvantages between development stage investment versus brownfield M&As in APAX. A two-part question there. First, policy, any trends, and M&A uh, brownfield versus greenfield. In terms of renewables policy, the world is having to adjust to the situation where renewables is very low cost and therefore needs little in the way of subsidy. However, to the point that we discussed previously, merchant risk is very significant and can put investors off. And therefore, there is a requirement for long-term policy support and long-term power purchase agreements. And we see this play out, for example, in, in Australia. So government stepping in to continue to provide long-term power purchase agreements or feed-in tariffs, for me, is vital in terms of underpinning the growth of renewables across the region. And in market, some markets, we see that as auctioned. In other markets, we, we don't. So that's the, the key dynamic and the key gate for, for growth for, for renewable. Uh, when it comes to stage of in investment, we're an active investor, and we like to take assets for the, the journey from the start of their life through to operations. So we are currently focused on 
investing in development platforms to develop a large scale portfolio of assets to then bring into the operating phase. Our job is to generate megawatts and megawatt hours. So we, we are keen to get to get assets uh, into construction and through to the start of operations. And we will from time to time invest in standalone assets at NTP or COD. But the majority of what we do is developing our own assets and taking them through to the operational phase. If you had to mention one takeaway from this from this interview, BlackRock is a really big player in the market. So, you know, everyone's really interested to know what BlackRock's strategy is, what BlackRock is betting on within the rules of privacy. If you could just elaborate a little bit on that, a takeaway from this interview. So I would say that we are betting very firmly on a net zero future and that the steps that governments will be taking across APAC to deliver that future are real and that it will happen more quickly than people can imagine. So we are uh, we have very high conviction on renewables and climate infrastructure globally. We have particularly high conviction for renewables and climate infrastructure in the APAC region. All right. With that, we will come to the end of this interview. Charlie, thank you very much for speaking with us and we look forward to hearing more from you both at Infologic events and potentially further podcasts in the future. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Charlie.